I have a friend who every spring jokes about the advent of the dandelions. He says, mark it, the advent of the dandelions is coming. They will, they will be here. Uh, that helps me remember what the word advent means. Uh, it means arrival or, or coming. Uh, it's uh, looking forward to something that is going to be here one day, something that is going to come. Every February, we start looking forward to the dandelions because we know how much work that's going to bring. But this time of the year, we look at a very different Advent. We have a whole season built around it. And that is why this time of Advent, that is why Christmas time, so much of the hustle and bustle that happens around it, has this feel like someone important is coming. Uh, your house might be much more decorated than it normally is right now, as if somebody really important were coming over, when it's really just your aunt and uncle who are coming over, right? But you decorated it out anyway like a king was coming over. And pretty soon your table might have food on it that you would put on your table if somebody really important was coming over. But, you know, it's really just your little brother and he comes over all the time, but you're going to put the food out like it's a really important person coming. The whole town is even lit up right now as if royalty were going to come and visit us and we were ready to greet it. All of that helps to point our hearts to the fact that someone is coming. A king is coming, right? The Lord Jesus has come once to earth. And what we're going to focus on this morning is that not only did he come once, but when he left, he promised he was going to come again. The Lord is coming back. It is very easy to overlook that both in everyday life and in Advent season, right? Real life can distract you from the fact that Jesus is definitely coming back. And sometimes, actually, the celebrations of Christmas time are even more distracting, right? It's hard to keep your heart fixed on the soon return of Jesus when there's a really great sale on handbags at Amazon and you've got to get there right now to get the right bag, right? Or when there's some preparation you've got to do to get the house ready for whoever is coming over next. Or whenever the next busy thing is happening, it's really hard in some of that to keep your mind stayed and your heart stayed on the fact that our king is coming back. And when he does... Everything sad will be made untrue. But this morning, we look at, despite our tendency to overlook it and forget it, uh, the clear reminder that there is in the scriptures that the Lord is coming back so that this Advent season can help to prepare us, not just to celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but to receive him in glory and splendor when he does come back. Let's look together at 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 13, where we read about the second advent of Jesus. The apostle writes, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? 
But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The words of the Lord. Through those words, the Lord calls his people to live holy lives, eagerly awaiting his return. And knowing most of you, I think most of us in this room know that we need to live holy lives. And most of us in this room know that Jesus is coming back. And we have words like this in our scriptures because we're tempted not to disbelieve it for most of us, but to just overlook it and to forget about it. And so this morning, the Lord gives us a reminder. Yes, he is coming. Yes, we do need to be ready to receive him. We do need to live holy lives to welcome him because, yes, he will be here. The backstory of 2 Peter is that this letter is written about 40 years after Jesus died, rose, and ascended up into heaven. And some of the tension that they are dealing with is that when he went up into heaven, it was promised that he would return. And so they started waiting for his return. Now, 40 years have gone by, and he still hasn't come back. And so people are starting to wonder, now, wait a minute, he said he was coming soon. 40 years have gone by. He still hasn't come back. Is, is he going to come back like he said he was going to? And to make this even more difficult, false teachers rose up in the church, and you can read their words in verse 4. They say, Where, where's the day of his coming? Like, basically, is, is he going to come or what? He hasn't come yet. I bet he's not even going to come. So now there's false teaching spreading around in the churches, and Peter is writing to set this record straight. Say, no, he, he is coming back. So first, he addresses the false teachers in the paragraph before the one we read today, and then in the words we read today, he sets the record straight. I wonder what they would have thought if they would have known that while they were reading these words somewhere around 65 AD or so, and 40 years had gone by and Jesus had not come back, what if they had known that here we would be today in the year 2021, and he still has not come back. In fact, if our dating is correct and the Lord waits seven more years to come back, it'll be a full 2,000 years since he left the first time and he has not come back. They were worried about 40 years. Here we are pushing 2,000 years. Now, this makes you think twice about some of this stuff. Why? Why hasn't he come back yet? 40 years is a long time. Almost 2,000 years is a very long time. And Peter gives us two answers to that. He's going to give us two answers to that question. Why hasn't the Lord come back yet? Then he will give us details of what the day of the Lord will be like. And then finally, he'll tell us how to live in light of that. And we'll break it down in those same three ways. First, two answers to the question, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? First answer is in verse 8. A long time to us is not a long time to God. And that's what we read in verse 8. It says, don't overlook this fact, right? Don't, it's easy to forget about. Don't overlook it. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. Now, that probably sounded like an exaggeration to them, right? A thousand years. What if he waits a thousand years to come back? We know now it's almost 2,000 years. For this whole time, our Lord has been sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty, waiting to come back. 
like a patient and anxious fiance waiting to finally marry his wife. We are betrothed to him. We are called the bride of Christ. He is our bridegroom. And there he is, as if he were engaged. He is engaged in a sense to us, waiting to come back. Can't wait to come and to be with us. But to him, and that eager, full of desire for us state, well, a thousand years is kind of like a day to him, and a day is kind of like a thousand years. Sometimes, for an eager fiancé, the time flies by like that. It's not the way for everybody, but sometimes it is. In the book of Genesis, we read about Jacob, who loved a woman named Rachel. He greatly desired to marry her. And so he went to Rachel's father, his future father-in-law, said, I want to marry your daughter. And his father said, well, if you want to marry her, you've got to be my servant for seven years. And so he had to be his future father-in-law's servant for seven years. And then the way it worked out, he got tricked, so he had to do another seven years and for 14 years, right? Uh, But it says they seemed to him as but a few days because of the love that he had for her, Sometimes it's like that for an eager fiancé. Four-month engagement can feel like two days because you're just so eager to get there. A year-long engagement can feel like a week because you're just so eager to get there. And the Lord is like that as well, eagerly desiring to come back and be united with his bride. But just like Jacob waiting for Rachel, it seems like a few days to him. 2,000 years are just like two days to him as he waits for us. Now, some of you have been engaged and you remember your engagement and you're thinking, yeah, that's about what it was like. Those times flew by because I was just so eager to be hers and for her to be all mine. And others of you are thinking, that is not at all what it was like when I was engaged, right? The, the days felt like years. It couldn't come fast enough. We were so eager to be married. And sometimes waiting is like that, right? Uh, kids can be like this on Christmas Eve, right? A child that can't sleep on Christmas Eve because he knows that tomorrow morning I'm going to get to open it finally, right? And that child will lie awake in bed. That one night of waiting for Christmas morning can feel like a thousand years to a kid, And sometimes a thousand years can just feel like a day because it goes by so fast. What's the difference between Jacob waiting seven years for his wife, Rachel, and it feeling like a few days, and a kid on Christmas Eve who cannot sleep and that one night feels like a thousand years? What's the difference between the two? The difference is Peter's second reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet. The difference is patience. To a patient person, those days go by very, very quickly. That's the second reason. He's not slow to keep his promise, but he's waiting patiently for more to come back to him. And we see this in verse 9. I'll read it for you. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we really have a window into two deep desires in Jesus' heart here. On the one hand, the one I already mentioned, he greatly desires to return and to be with his bride. The same way an eager fiance is saying, I can't wait till she's all mine and I'm all hers, right? He can't wait to come back. On the other hand, he deeply desires for everyone on earth to repent and come back to him. So much that he would wait one more day for a few more to come in. 
He is not in his heart eager to condemn those who will not repent to hell. But if he comes back today, that's what he will do. He will condemn them all to hell forever. But if he comes back tomorrow, there will be a few who turn today as the gospel is preached around the world and a few more who have come to him. And if he tarries one more day and waits till Monday instead of Sunday to come back, that would be why. So that that last few thousand can come in. And then, well, if he waits till Tuesday, maybe a few more will come in. And if he waits till Wednesday, maybe even a few more will come in. And next thing you know, it's the year 2021, and we have been waiting almost 2,000 years. How patient he is to wait for what he longs for most so that more will come in and join his kingdom. What a window this is into the heart of, of God. That means something for those of us who have heard the gospel before and have not responded to it. Uh, maybe you're here today and you've heard the gospel preached before. Uh, maybe you've heard it preached week after week for, for three weeks or four weeks or a year or multiple years and you've just never responded and turned and come back to him. That means something for us. One reason the Lord has not come back yet is to give you time to come in. And so as you hear the promise that Christ Jesus has come to earth, God made man to reconcile us to him, and that all who receive him can have peace with God forever and a place in his kingdom forever, despite our great sin against him. For my plea to you is, don't intrude on his kindness anymore, but come back today. Return to Jesus Christ today and receive the kingdom. There will one day be many perishing in hell who will say, he gave me time to repent and I didn't take it. I would not have anyone in this room be among that number or anyone who hears this message recorded later be among that number. No, turn today and make the today the day you no longer intrude on his kindness. That is the second reason that our Lord is waiting, to give even you time to turn and come back. So we have there two reasons he has not come back yet. First, long time to us is not a long time to him, right? A thousand years is like a day to him. Second, he's not slow to keep his promise. He's patient. He wants more and more to come back to him. One day, though, that patience will run out. It will, it will end, and he will send his son. And we get next details about what that day will be like. What will the day of the Lord be like? We see it in verses 10, 12, and 13. Before we even get into it, though, I need to give you a little primer on what this, what this phrase means. It says in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What, what is the day of the Lord? Uh, the day of the Lord is a phrase that you may be reading a lot right now if you are doing our Bible reading plan because you'd be in the prophets right now and they talk about the day of the Lord a lot. It is a day when the Lord comes bringing with him both judgment and deliverance. And the prophets will use it to talk about different points in history, but they always have all three of those in common. The Lord comes, he shows up, 
He brings judgment with him and he brings deliverance with him. You can find all three of those things in passages about the day of the Lord. Now, sometimes the prophets will talk about the day of the Lord and they'll be talking about, you know, a significant downfall in history, the downfall of Assyria or something like that, something we've already seen and it happened and it's over with. Many times, though, the prophets will talk about the day of the Lord and they're talking about the big one that's coming, the day when Jesus returns. And all those little ones point forward to a coming day of the Lord when he comes back, the day of judgment, when he judges all of the universe and there is untold both destruction and deliverance. And it's that day that Peter is talking about here when he speaks of the day of the Lord. He's not talking about the downfall of the Roman Empire. He's not talking about the Catholic Church falling. He's talking about the day when the Lord Jesus returns and the final day of judgment that comes. He gives to us four details about it. Now, this is a day when the Lord comes, when he brings judgment, and when he brings deliverance. The first detail about it we get in verse 10, and that is that it will be unexpected and shocking. We see that with this image of a thief in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Thieves do not announce their coming. They show up, they're gone, and everyone is shocked that they came. I actually experienced this once in my house when I was in my 20s. I was in seminary. I was living with, uh, I think, five other guys. There were six of us in the house at the time, I think. And the last one would go to bed at like two or three in the morning. And the first one would get up at like four for his job. And so there was hardly ever a time when no one was in the house and was awake. There was always somebody there. And so we always felt very safe. We're all in our 20s. So, hey, we're invincible anyway. And then we're all awake all the time. So, you know, we weren't really worried about this stuff. And it got to where you'd come in the door at night and you weren't sure if you were the last one in, so you might leave the door unlocked for the next guy. And pretty soon we weren't all that diligent about locking our doors. Well, one night my roommate James was, um, he was writing a paper until about two or three in the morning at the dining room table. He's hacking away on his laptop, finishes for the night, he's tired, he shuts the lid to his laptop, goes up to bed, and he's the last one in bed. Uh, we wake up in the morning and the laptop is gone. Hmm, what happened? Uh, the police later said that there was a ring of thieves in the neighborhood who would park in a few parking lots, one of which was right across the street from our house, so they could see in the windows what people were doing in their house, where they would just sit there and look for the perfect time to just walk in and take something. And they walked while we were all in our beds, right in the front door, grabbed the laptop, pulled the power adapter out of the wall, reached around a commentary on Revelation to do it, interestingly, and pulled the plug out of the wall, walked right by my guitar and didn't get greedy and take it right off the wall, just walked right out the door as if nothing had happened. And it took us a week before we even believed the police story. Like, that happened? It was shocking. It was amazing. There was no warning. We had no idea it was going to come beforehand. And Peter says here, the day of the Lord will be like that. It will be so shocking and so sudden and so unexpected that we won't know what hit us. There will not be a countdown greeting his coming the way that we greet the new year in Times Square. There will not be preachers in pulpits saying, this is your last chance, it is your last Sunday before his return. No, he will come like a thief and he will come unexpected. That means that when he comes, you won't be ready for it. Which means we should be ready 
in every moment the same way that my friends and I should have locked the door every night in our house. He will come unexpected and it will be shocking. I guess first detail about his return. The second is in verse 10 as well. It also comes back in verse 12. Uh, the, the destruction will be more catastrophic than we can grasp and imagine. He gives us pictures here that we're like, is he still talking about real things here? Or like, what? this is tough to imagine. Stuff we've never even seen, even in a Hollywood blockbuster. Uh, let me give you a few of these images here. I'll, I'll do, we'll do them one at a time. Uh, in verse 10, after the thief part, it says, then the heavens will pass away with a roar. So that means everything up in the sky will cease to be anymore, and the sound will be a roar that we can all hear. Now, how we will hear what's happening on the moon and in the sun, I don't, I don't know. Sound doesn't travel through space. I don't understand that. But we will hear what is going on with a, a roar. When I was a kid, the space shuttle program was still going on. And for a while, they would land in Florida. I think they eventually started landing in other parts of the country, maybe where you lived. Uh, when those space shuttles would come back, they would enter the atmosphere faster than the speed of sound, which meant that at some point, there would be a sonic boom when they came back. Some of you guys nod your heads like you remember those days. Yeah. Uh, so you'd be sitting there, and you'd be you know, a couple hundred miles from where the thing was, going about your day, and all of a sudden, boom right? You just hear it. You'd hear that thing for sometimes the whole state of Florida would hear that boom or eventually started coming back in Texas. And if you grew up in Texas, maybe you heard it in Texas a few times. Everything would shake. The cabinets would rattle. I remember one time uh, one of the dishes broke in the cabinet because of that sonic boom. I don't remember what dish, but I remember how my mom felt about it. She was not very happy. Uh, you could hear that thing all over the place. And that's just the boom of one little shuttle coming back. The sound that Peter gives us here, the roar of the heavens passing away, that's a sound we can't imagine, can we? But it will be incredible when it happens. Uh, the next image we get is all of the heavenly bodies uh, being burned, being dissolved, and melting. We see that in both 10 and 12. Uh, the heavenly bodies, halfway through verse 10, will be burned up and dissolved. And then skipping to verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And my Bible has an exclamation point there, like, whoa, right? What's going on? So this is the heavenly bodies being burned, being melted, being dissolved, uh, I guess you can imagine the sun and the moon just dissolving to ash and then maybe falling down to earth as nothing but ash. The word for heavenly bodies, you may have a footnote that says this in your Bible. It means elements. Uh, so it could mean something more basic than that. It could mean the very molecular structure of the universe falling apart and dissolving everything turning into rogue protons, electrons, and quantum things that some of y'all will have to tell me what's what on because I don't even understand. The very fabric of the universe breaking down right before our eyes. Anybody just in awe as you 
think of this? This is incredible to imagine one day. And if that's where you are right now, that's right where the Lord wants you to just say, wow, this day of the Lord that is coming, who, who can stand before it? Who can endure while the moon melts and the stars dissolve and fall to the earth and the basic fabric of the universe tears apart? Nobody can endure that. And that brings us to the next detail, which is that everything done in secret here on earth will be exposed. Uh, We see that as well, too, in verse 10. Toward the end, the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. It means everything done in secret here on this planet will be exposed. That secret meeting that happened at your company where you think something suspicious happened and you aren't really sure, that will be exposed. You will know. The Lord will announce what happened that day. Uh, That conversation that somebody had in the hallway that you're pretty sure was about you, but you're not so sure about, that will be exposed. It will be made known. Things that we all are looking for the answers to. Who really assassinated JFK? Everything done on earth will be exposed. We will know what happened. Has there ever been an election rigged in U.S. history? If so, we will know on that day the Lord will reveal everything that happens on earth. And that means everything you have done in secret will be revealed as well. That your internet history can't actually be deleted. Everything will be made known. Uh, This is what it means in verse 10. All of the works that are done on the earth will be exposed. And lastly, verse 13 gives us something to look forward to. But according to his promise, we are waiting on a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's a ton of imagery about this in the scripture. Peter gives us just the tiniest bit, just so we don't think everything dissolves and that's it and everything is hopeless and useless, right? No, the Lord will create a new heavens and a new earth for his people to dwell in and we will live there in righteousness with him. Now, the temptation for me is just to talk about that for like 45 minutes because it's so awesome, but Peter's being intentional here. He just gives us enough to remind us that it's going to happen and so we'll leave it there, right? After all this comes a new heavens, a new earth, we will live there in righteousness with God. So there's our picture of the coming day of the Lord. It will be unexpected and shocking when it comes. The destruction would be more catastrophic than we can imagine, perhaps even the very fabric of the universe tearing apart. Everything done secret here on the earth will be exposed. And after it's all done, the Lord will build a new heavens and a new earth that has been purified and refined, the earth that we all long to live on. Now, when you read that, that's like a motivator, right? Like when I read things like that, I think, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that, but whatever it is, I really better do it, right? There's like all this sense of motivation and sometimes we're not so sure what we are supposed to do with this. Well, lest we be misguided in how we handle it, Peter gives us next our response. What are we supposed to do? And it's in verse 11 and 12. So, so let's, let's look there for our last big thing here this morning. Well, what should we do if, if the Lord is coming back and it's going to be like that? How do you need to live tomorrow morning when you wake up? Two things. One, live a holy life. And two, wait eagerly for his return. We see the first one in verse 11, live a holy life. 
since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So if it's all passing away, what what kind of people do we need to be? Holy and godly people. Uh, To live a holy life just means to live a pure life, morally pure life, and a life that is different from the world around you. If they're going one way, you're going a different way. Now, that difference was subtle 50 and 100 years ago when normal American worldliness looked a little bit like nominal Christianity. It was tough to tell them apart. But as the sands of time change and as everything shifts and the world is a little different now, normal American worldliness is a lot less like Christianity and even nominal Christianity now. And so as that happens, we start to look weirder and weirder And what we're finding now, I think, is we look weirder and weirder to people on both sides of the political spectrum who are looking at us and saying, well, why are you guys doing Why are y'all being so different and so weird about this? Why are we being so different and so weird? Why do Christians live such unique lives in the world? And the answer Peter gives to us here, uh, because all of those things are going to be dissolved. We live lives that are different from the way the world lives because we're not headed the direction that the world is headed. We don't do things the way that everything out there goes because everything out there is going to be dissolved and we are not. And so we live lives that are holy and that are different. The idea there is that you don't want to live the way the world lives because you don't want to wind up the way the world is winding up. If all of it's going to melt and be dissolved, you don't want to wind up like that. You live differently now. That means something when you hear your friends say, Christmas is all about family or Christmas is all about being together. And in your heart, you're thinking something different, right? No, Christmas for me is all about Jesus. He came, right? And to a lot of people, they're going to look at that and be like, why are you so weird? Like, why are you so different from us? You're different because you are headed to a different place. Everything else is going to be dissolved, and you are not. That means something when everyone else is so excited about the shoe deal they got on Amazon, and maybe you're excited about your new shoes too, but your Advent devotional just came in the mail and you're super excited about that. And you're like, why am I such a nerd that I'm more excited about this little book that came in the mail than I am about all those great deals on Amazon? Why are you so weird? The reason you're so weird is because you're headed to a different place and your heart is set on Jesus Christ and his return. You got a different destination and so you got a different lifestyle today. Uh, on Christmas Eve, when everyone else is saying, let's get together and let's have a party and you know, let's drink a little too much, it'll be fun. And you're thinking, I kind of want to just go to church on Christmas Eve. Like That's my favorite part about Christmas Eve. Why are you so weird? Why are you so different from everybody else? Because you're headed to a different place than the world is headed. You don't want to be like the world because the world is passing away. That's why Santa Claus doesn't mean as much to us as a nativity scene. That's why we do Christmas in a way that just looks weirder and weirder every year. What sort of people ought we be if everything is going to be dissolved like that? People that live different, pure, strange, holy lives. That's what the Lord calls us to be. The other way we respond is by waiting eagerly, it says. There's a difference between a man sitting in a chair and a man waiting in a chair, isn't there? And that difference, if you can sense it, that's the difference in how we must live as we look to Jesus. 
We are waiting with an eagerness that says, pretty soon, something's going to happen. That thing I'm waiting for, like that man who's waiting outside the store for his wife to come out the store, pretty soon she'll be done and she'll come out. Or he's looking forward to something. Or that man that's sitting and waiting to go in for an interview, he's, something's about to happen and he's sitting there like something's about to happen. And we are living our lives thinking, he's coming. We're looking for it. We can't wait for him to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The last words in the Bible, I think the second to last verse in the Bible, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And we say, amen, come quickly. Lord Jesus, right? We live lives of waiting because we want him to come. And he uses two words for this, wait and hasten also. We are hastening the day of his return. That's in, that's in 12 if you want to see it, both waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. So we're waiting for it eagerly on one hand, but to hasten the day means something a little more than that. It actually means to be doing things that will bring the day about more quickly, which seems a little counterintuitive because the Lord in heaven already knows what the day is, right? Jesus says, my father knows the day, right? So the day's fixed. And yet, we're supposed to be doing things to make the day come about more quickly. Uh, sometimes things like this happen in the Bible and we just... Listen to him and do what he says, right? How, how would we make the day of the Lord come more quickly? Well, in their day, they believed that we could bring his return about more quickly through repentance and through holy lives. And it is interesting that Jesus, or sorry, that Peter is saying this right as he's talking about repentance and living a holy life. Maybe he's affirming that connection, but it's not super clear. We do have one clear word from Jesus, though, as to how we are supposed to hasten the day of his return, and it's in the Lord's Prayer, right? Some of you know the Lord's Prayer by heart, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and what's next? Your kingdom come, right? It's one of the big things that we are to be praying for. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's, that's one sure way that we can hasten the return of Jesus Christ, just by asking him to come. That is very empowering, I think, when you see things happen in the world, especially when you read tragic headlines, and you feel so powerless. One of those humbling things about reading the news is how powerless you feel when you're reading it. Uh, what do you do when you read a headline that says, last year, 600,000 babies were aborted. What do, you, what do you do when your heart sinks? You, you're going to save 600,000 babies next year? No, what, what do I do? You, but you can look to Jesus and say, come quickly, Jesus. Return for us, Jesus. Some of us are using Facebook to keep up with old friends and that is fantastic when they post their wedding pictures, isn't it? You get to see all the joyous days of their lives. It is heartbreaking when their baby dies. And some of you know what that's like to see that through a thousand mile away lens on Facebook that one of your close friends from high school just lost their baby. What are you going to do from a thousand miles away? You don't even know what to say, right? But you can look up to the Lord and say, Lord, Come quick, do not let one more child die. Come quickly, right? We can hasten the day of his return. We saw in Afghanistan, after 20 years of fighting for Afghanistan, they took it back over in a week. What, what do you do? Well, you can look up to the Lord and say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let there be no more war. Let there be no more fighting. Hasten the day. We can hasten the day by asking him 
to come quickly. So those are the two things we must do. And I pray that this Advent season prepares you to do them, to wait eagerly for the Lord's coming and to live a life in holiness because he will come and it will be like this when he comes. All right, before we go, I want to give a special word just to, just to our church in how we look at this text because there are some of us that should actually be humbled a little bit by this text. And, and here's what I mean. Uh, a lot of us have a pretty sure and certain vision of what the timeline might look like when Jesus comes back, right? Uh, And there are many people throughout history, there have been two main camps here, one of which has said, when the Lord returns, the day of judgment will be that very same day, right? He will come back, he will judge the earth, and, and that will be that. And then there's been another group who has said, no, the day that he comes back will not be the same day as the final judgment. He'll come back, then there will be a thousand-year kingdom that he will set up here in the world, and then the final day of judgment is after that. And we've been trying to figure this out for 2,000 years. And the reason is there are parts of the scripture you read that really make it sound like that millennial kingdom is yet to come, and there are other parts of the scripture that you read and you're like, well, actually, that kind of makes it sound like it's right now, and so people get convinced of one or the other. Now, if you're like me, I think most of you are like me here in our church, either that you look at that stuff and you're like, I have no idea, or you look at that stuff and you're pretty certain that the millennial kingdom is coming and you would call yourself pre-millennial. You say, that's my view. That's what I think's going to happen. I'm about halfway between I don't know and pre-millennial myself, if you want to know where my cards are. That's important because this is one of those texts you look at and you have to kind of second guess yourself and say, well... Here, he talks about the day of Jesus' return and the final day of judgment like they're the same day, right? The day of the Lord. In verse 4, he's talking about the day of the coming of Jesus, then the day of the Lord, and then all of a sudden the planets are being destroyed and things are melting as they burn. He's talking about, oh, it's, it's the same day. That doesn't mean you need to change your millennial view, but if you're super confident in your view, passages like this should make you step back a little bit, as it does for me, and say, well, I might be wrong about this. I I may not know exactly what's going to happen when he returns. Those of you that hold those views confidently, let a text like that humble you and make you say, you know, we we could be wrong about this. None of us really know the timeline that's going to happen when he comes back. So take that if you need it. If you're one of those that has that view very solidly, let that humble you. Otherwise, you could just forget about all that and not worry about what the timeline's going to be because we don't really know anyway. All right. What do we really need to take out of this, though? Okay, the Lord is coming. Every time you see the halls decorated, what's that need to do to your heart? It needs to tell you, the Lord's coming. It's going to be a big deal when he comes. Every time you drive around and you see Christmas lights, what's that need to tell you? The Lord's coming. It's going to be a big deal when he comes. And what do you need to do today because of that? Christian, live a holy life and wait eagerly for the day that he comes. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for that.